Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Zone. Home of the game changers. They defy odds. Logic. Reason. They fight convention and bloody the nose of tradition. Stream your boxing your way. Anytime, anywhere, only on the zone. Game changed. Visit DAZN.com. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Byrne. And I'm joined today by trusty producer, Simon Maguire. Hi, Simon. Evan, how are you? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Our guest today is almost a two-for-one deal for all our listeners. Fresh from the RT studios, we pundit extraordinaire, Eric Donovan. Hi, Eric. How are you doing? Hi, Gavin. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me, lads. And we've also got European title chasing professional boxer, Eric Donovan. A man of a <laughs> business. How's it going? Thanks for having me, lads. Yeah, all good. All good. Now, before we get into things, on September 4th, join the zone as undisputed lightweight champion Katie Taylor returns to defend her titles against Jennifer Han at Headingley Rugby League Stadium in Leeds. Featherweight Josh Warrington will seek revenge as he takes on Mexico's Mauricio Lara in a rematch. And Conor Ben will go head to head with Adrian Granados in an exciting welterweight scrap. Yeah, Eric, you're a man of many hats uh, in your personal life, professional life. This week, it's all about, it's all focus for your next fight. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited for the fight. Um, you know, I love fighting. I, I I was only thinking the other day, actually, Kevin, about how long I've been doing this sport, and I love it now today more than I've ever loved it before. You know, and maybe it's because I do know that I appreciate that I'm in the final chapters of my career, and it's more important to me now than ever before as well. Like, you know, I just love the excitement of it all. I love the thrill of it. I love the the planning, the plotting, the trying to get, you know, trying to trying to improve, trying to develop, and trying to get myself back into that position of where I was back in May, where I was only 10 days out from a European title fight. And I, you know, unfortunately, you know, picked up a, a rib injury. And I tr- I'm trying not to dwell on it or I'm trying not to feel sorry for myself on it because I don't think that's the right attitude to have. I'm trying to use the whole the whole experience as a learning experience. Like, what is this trying to teach me? What am I, what am I supposed to really learn about myself in this kind of uh, mis- kind of unfortunate situation? And 
I feel like I'm stronger now. I feel like I'm stronger. I'm back training harder. I'm sparring well. And I just can't wait to get in there next week. Yeah, that was most unfortunate. You were supposed to fight a guy called Mario Alfano in Brescia, Italy. But a rib injury, obviously, just a week or two before the fight puts you out. What happened with the injury? Yeah, it's a strange one. Like I, I, I fractured the rib before, believe it or not, in the train in the lead up to the my Irish title fight with Steve McAfee. And I remember having an argument with Joe um, Clifford, uh, Joe Clifford and Kenneth Egan were my coaches. And about three weeks before the fight, I was scheduled to go and spar. But I noticed my ribs, I was, I was, my ribs were pretty sore for about a week or two before. Before this scheduled spar three weeks out. And then I text the guys in the group and I just said, lads, my ribs are a bit sore. Um, I'm wondering if I should take take tomorrow off, you know. And I remember Joe getting really angry and saying, You haven't even done eight rounds yet. You're training for an Irish title and you're cribbing about your rib and stuff. And I said, Look, listen, forget about it. I'll go and inspire, whatever. And then Ken goes, Ken texts in and goes, Eric, you know your body. Listen to your body. If your body's saying, you know, don't do whatever, like, you know, pull out, you know, if if it's saying it's too sore, whatever, then we'll pull back the sparring, whatever. And there was kind of a triangulation going on there, a bit of a disagreement. And I was kind of trying to keep everybody calm. I was like, look, I'll spar, don't worry, I'll move. Yeah. But then we came to the kind of agreement that I'd go and get it checked out. And I went to get it checked out. And sure enough, the thing was fractured. <laughs> you know, it was fractured. And uh, so then I had to spend the next three weeks doing no sparring. And, uh, or sorry, doing sparring, but my sparring partners were, uh, they were instructed under strict conditions to not go for the body and to only aim for the head. And, um, and that was it. And we got through it and we kept, you know, won the Irish title, thankfully. And, uh, so anyways, then, you know, just last May in the, in the training camp, I was flying, I was doing my second last, I was into my second last spar and I kind of got a thump right in the same area. And it just felt very uncomfortable, very, very, um, a bit untoward. I knew there was something going on there, but this was the second round of 10. And I just kind of, the adrenaline and everything, I just kind of kept going, done the 10 rounds, got out of the ring and it felt a bit sore and I just rested up for a while, rested up for a few days. And then I went back doing the pads of Paki and I couldn't even hit the pads. I really couldn't even punch. It was on my left side and I couldn't even punch with my left hand. I couldn't put any power in it. And, um, Remember Packy saying, oh, okay, it might warm up after two or three rounds. We did six rounds on the pads and the whole six rounds were excruciating pain. And Packy said to me, look, we need to go and get it checked out. You can't get in. You can't even hit the pads. How can we get into a 12 round fight, you know, against somebody who's like just going to be coming forward, small guy who just likes to fight. And we only got it checked out and the whole the, the kind of fracture was redone almost. So we, we had to pull out of it. Yeah, we had to pull out of it on medical grounds. So that was it. That's the story. That was a uh, take it easy for the summer, go do a bit of punditry, you know, get back into the swing of things slowly. Yeah. And that's right. Yeah. I really enjoyed the Olympics. Like it was, a, it was, well, look, first and foremost, I think it was a huge success that the Olympics even went ahead. And I'm, and credit, massive kudos to the organization involved, everybody to the, the Tokyo organizers, the Olympic Council, everybody for making it all happen. Um, because a lot of these athletes put their whole lives on hold for this one moment, this one time to shine, you know, and uh, it's a lifetime's work. And thankfully it went ahead. And then, of course, we're always kind of, we always have a, 
our expectations on the on the shoulders of our boxers because it's number one Olympic sport. Two or three months before the Olympic Games, it didn't look very good for us. You know, it looked pretty bleak. It looked, we'd only one person guaranteed uh, or qualified, which Brendan Irvine. We knew possibly if it goes to the ranking point system, we we might get Kelly Harrington and Kurt Walker over the line. But that was it. That was about it. So then to actually end up with having seven qualified was a great, I think was a great success and a great turn of events. And then to go out there and bring home a gold and a bronze, not only that, I thought everybody performed really, really well. I thought they were exceptional. You know, I thought Kurt Walker was very unlucky not to get a medal and just really, really unlucky. Um, I think maybe his first round let him down. Well, it did let him down. He probably, maybe in hindsight, probably should have maybe, I, I was thinking maybe went with different a different strategy for the round one against Reagan because he was different than the other two fighters, Merzakilov and uh, um, Jose Quiles Brontas from Spain. So he, them them guys were were attacking fighters. They chase you down, but Reagan Reagan um, Duke Reagan doesn't. And I kind of felt that Kurt kind of almost gave him the first round. Wouldn't say gave him, but just the, the tactics were wrong. And yeah, then. Yeah. It took him around to really see, okay, this is not working. Let's go here to plan B. But plan B should have always been his tactics, I think, in that fight from round one. Because even if he had to get a share of the first round, he lost the first round 5-0. Even if he had to get one or two judges in round one, even if he did lose a 3-2 three, three, or possibly even 4-1, he might have won the fight, you know. But he lost the 5-0 and that was what came back to kind of bite him. But I felt so sorry for him because I felt that his performances were worthy of a medal. And then I thought maybe just kind of with Michaela Walsh, I thought possibly she could have done it. Like I look at the rest of the performances, like I look at Brendan Irvine, Aoife O'Rourke, Emma Brennan, and they gave everything. You know, they gave absolutely everything. Probably a career best performance for Emma Brennan. Aoife O'Rourke kind of gave a really good account of herself, but she, she's inexperienced, you know, at that level. Yeah. Still very young but put it up to the Olympic bronze medalist. Um, and then Brendan Irvine come up against, you know, the Olympic silver medalist, you know, he was like a mini Pacquiao, like he was brilliant. Um, so they, they all really did well, but I think like possibly on a different, with a, with a different strategy, or different tactics, different strategy, Michaela Walsh and Kurt Walker could have got a medal. But, you know, you can't, you know, I know how hard it is and you're in the ring. I'm only speaking from my punditry point of view from, you know, given my honest analysis of it, it's easier said than done when you're in there. It's yeah, so, so sure. difficult. I'm just saying that Michaela Walsh is good enough, was good enough. So was Kurt Walker, but it just on the day, it just didn't work out for them. Yeah. But gold medal and bronze and Kelly and, and Aaron Walsh is really uh, icing on the cake. Did you feel any stage fright trying to summarize uh, this this gold medal win for the nation sitting in there? You know, this, you know that the eyes of the country are on Kelly Harrington go, going up in the uh, in the final to win the gold, but the eyes are on you as well to sum it up in in the best way you can. Did you feel any any pressure for the audience that was watching? Is there any pressure for your George Hamilton moment? No, no, <laughs> don't think I was excited. I was nervous, like I was so nervous for Kelly, you know, and uh, I just knew that this there was something about this, you know. Like, I know we won the gold medal with the with the rowers and all, like a few days previously and all, but this was the final day of the Olympics, the last day, and it was boiling down to probably our biggest medal hope for a very long time. And just, you know, 
there's nothing like a, the boxing is a great great sport for uniting the country you know and bringing people together it's the underdog sport you know everybody loves the underdog and um and i just thought there would no no better person to be to to kind of win that medal than, than Kelly Harrington. She just she fits the bill of Olympic champion, you know, humble, gracious, just down to earth, lovely, lovely person and has the skills and has the tools and, you know, has been, again, through a lifetime's work gone into it, a lifetime's work, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of setbacks, everything, but all kind of culminated in this kind of a one day, one moment, three three rounds, nine minutes, and uh, I was just thinking in the back of my head, can she do it? Like, there was part of me saying, yes, she can do it. She can definitely do it. There was another part of me saying, this girl, Ferreira, can go do, you know, she can, she's ferocious. She's a beast. She can, she could really humiliate us here, you know? She could be, but like, it was all going to be about performance. What's going to happen? Who's going to, who's going to have a good first round? Who's going to have the better tactics, the better strategies? And, you see, Ferreira, Beatrice Ferreira got off to a great start. Um, one or two minutes into the first round, she was on top. She was on top, landed a couple of big shots as well. And I knew she was going to land them eventually. Like, you know, Kelly is very good, but like, so is, so is Ferreira. So two world champions, you know, they're going to, you're going to get clipped at some stage. And I was always wondering how she would, how Kelly would respond when she gets clipped. You know, will she break? Will she fall? But she didn't. She took her the first two minutes of the first round to collect enough data to kind of solve the puzzle. And then a minute to go in the third, in the first round, she, she finished so strongly, found a target, found her accuracy and speed and time and distance. And I just, I just remember at the end of the first round, even though she lost it, I just kind of felt really comfortable. I said, she's after finding her way in this fight and figure it out. Yeah, she figured it out. That's it. She solved the puzzle. And um, you want to know what to do. You know, it was brilliant. It was it was kind of, you know, the way Nevin was the same with, with Alvarez that time in London. You know, he just just found him out. He had him. And yeah. there's nothing that they could have done that could have worked for them. Like, it's, it's you know, you talk about having to rise up, rise up to the big occasion. My God, did she do it. It was yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It, was, it was great from her perspective as well that Ferreira is a come forward fighter. So even though Ferreira won the first round, she was going to be there, you know, pushing, pushing in the second mm -hmm. round for Harrington to find a way. And once she figured her out, she was able to implement her game plan, but she was still able to find Ferreira and she was still able to win the fight by moving backwards too, by, you know, being defensive, you know, shutting up shop and then catching her on the way in and then setting, setting traps and then and finding her as well. So it's a perfect performance from Harrington against the type of fighter she was against. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But like I said, she had to show so much. Mm. Like not only in terms of like her own ability to box, to make or miss, to but her character, her chin, you know, her resilience. She was tested. She was yeah. really, really tested because you one landed some nice blows, some nice, you know, shots. And um, was that the last? Was that the last doubt about Harrington? You know, being able to put in the perfect performance because we in some of her defeats against Pockin and maybe we've seen her engage you know, stand at really close quarters, go to war and Pockenham got the better of it. And yeah. that's why, that's the one kind of seed of doubt I had going into the final against Ferreira. I was thinking, well, Pot you know, Ferreira hits harder than Pockenham is a better boxer and, you know, has more variety. So that that's the one danger. That's the one danger I saw. But Harrington was able to absorb it and, you know, outbox it.
She was. And like, what's so good about the whole performance is that she made somebody who looked unbeatable look pretty ordinary. Now, I think that there is phenomenal. You know, someone who was undefeated for two years, who has stood on 29 podiums of the last 30 competitions, like somebody who was beaten Kelly's nemesis in Pot Conan a couple of times and done a number on him. You know, like there was like if you start looking into all of this stuff, you can feel very, very small and you can really doubt yourself. But I thought Kelly showed tremendous strength, willpower, like mental fortitude, just this this unbelievable mindset to in her interviews, in her way of not getting lost in the whole occasion, and just we talk about it. Stick in the present, live in the moment, one fight at a time, one minute at a time. One Kelly done that. That was what Kelly done out there was was that what we preach to an absolute T. You know, she talked about just wanting to kind of put a smile on people's faces. You know, she lived in the moment. Talk about being seizing the moment, not thinking about medals or colors or anything. Just I love boxing. I love performing. I love making people happy. And I'm just going to try and keep doing that. I just thought it was a great way of managing, managing everything. And look, whoever's helping her and working with her, I think all those people deserve a lot of credit for, for helping with that, for creating that. Because Speaking of people who deserve credit for helping it, you've now been a, a sparring partner to two Olympic lightweight champions, female. Yeah. Mm. You've worked with both in the advance of the games. Um, you obviously worked with Katie Taylor in advance of the 2012 games as well, as working with Kelly Harrington before the 2020. Yeah, and then I, I also rang in the, I, I also rang in both their fights for RT as well. Yeah. <laughs> both their Olympic finals. I remember standing in um I remember standing in the I was on the radio uh, for RT uh, for the 2012 Olympics, the London Olympics, and I was Going around from studio to studio, one one day I could be in with um, uh, what's his name, Joe Duffy, and uh, the next minute I could be in with uh, uh, John Creedon, and then whoever it was, I could be in different studios. It depended on the time of the fight. Obviously, I got promoted to the television screen yeah. for for Rio and then Tokyo. And so, look, I mean, you know how much I would, you know how much it would, you know, regret I had over my own failed attempts with the Olympic Games and I have to kind of live with that for the rest of my life but um, not look I have accepted it anyway but like so for me to be there and to be involved I take it very very seriously and it's a real privilege and an honour to, to to be there to to try and educate and inform the public on, on these boxers about what they do because a lot of people would well the casual fans are probably not non-sporting fans just look at boxing and think it's just two people just tearing lumps out of each other, you know, in a kind of a barbaric way. But it's not. I'm trying to educate them and inform them about the skill level involved and the abilities and, you know, obviously their profiles, their backgrounds and the journey that they had to get to here. So that's it. And I take that job very, very seriously. And, um, you know, I, I was so, so pleased and happy with the feedback that, that I got for, for, for my work as well. I think people really enjoyed it. So it was, that was good. Right. So you've done rounds preparing both fighters for the Olympic Games. And I know after, after Kelly Harrington secured her gold medal, there was talk about what she's going to do, turn professional down the line, maybe have a fight with Katie Taylor one day. I know you weren't really entertained the prospects. So I'm not going to ask you to do so. But can I ask you, what sort of, what different attributes did they present to you that you had to deal with in sparring? We know Katie Taylor has a, a real targeted ferocity, whereas Kelly Harrington uh, is, 
is kind of more on the back foot, a bit craftier maybe. But what what can you recall uh, were their best kind of offerings when they were in the opposite side side of the ring to you? Yeah, that's a very good question. I suppose Katie is um, more of a high tempo, uh, more high volume punching boxer than Kelly. Kelly is a more, more, much more of a counter puncher, a patient game she plays. She sets the traps and tries to catch you with uh, clinical punches. But, you know, she's a single puncher. She's a sharp shooter. She brings you on to these single shots where Katie tries to throw punches. Katie, not tries, but Katie throws punches in bunches. You know, she throw four and five shots. She'd sacrifice three or four just to hit you with one, you know, but she'd be relentless in terms of like, you know, her, her, her volume, her output is constant. It's nonstop where Kelly is the opposite, you know, um, on the back foot, trying to bring you forward, trying to set you obviously change from orthodox, change into southpaw, sharp shooter. She doesn't really give you much indication what punch is going to come. She's very hard to read. She hits you from angles that are very, uh, acute and, uh, they're, they're just kind of, they're both brilliant at what to do, but so different, which I think makes them in a way kind of cements their own legacy, you know? And that's why I was so happy as well to see Kelly win that Olympic gold medal that, you know, there's many girls out there that would, or there's many people out there that would probably say that, oh, Kelly Harrington was inspired by Katie Taylor, but Kelly Harrington was a trailblazer like Katie Taylor. You know, she, Kelly Harrington was sitting down beside me in the RT studios watching Katie Taylor in the Rio Olympic Games. And Kelly could have been in those Rio Olympic Games if her weight category was in the Olympics, but it wasn't. You know, so she had to wait around uh, until she could eventually get that, you know, secure that weight category for Ireland. And then she, eventually she did it. So what I'm saying is that the both of them have done so much for boxing and both of them, both of them have now cemented their legacy in Irish sporting history and they both stand up firmly in their own right. And I, that's why I just think the two, they're two incredible uh, uh, icons in this country. And I'd hate to see them uh, pitted against each other because I love the both of them and I have a very good relationship with them and a friendship with them. And, and, and I just couldn't, I know it would be the worst thing for me. It'd be the worst thing for me. The Zone, home of the Game Changers. They defy odds, logic, reason. They fight convention and bloody the nose of tradition. Stream your boxing your way, anytime, anywhere, only on The Zone. Game changed. Visit DAZN.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have no doubt that no matter what Ellie Harrington decides to do in her future in boxing, she's going to be a success because mm-hmm. she's she's a very driven, determined person and obviously a class boxer. We know mm-hmm. Katie Taylor has gone on to become a professional of the highest caliber, 18 wins. She's going for 19 on the same night. So you're fighting on September the 4th and bomb-proof at the Europa Hotel. Funny because it's Europe's most bombed hotel. But um, no opponent announced for yourself. But Katie Taylor has a test in Jennifer Han an American boxer who's a former world featherweight champion. Yeah. Have you got to look into that fight much? And also, what do you think about Katie Taylor's success so far? Um, incredible, incredible haul of world title belts and accolades, pound for pound status and stuff like that. Oh, unbelievable. Like, you know, I don't think, um, and like, we know, we know the impact that Katie has had in the amateur scene um, across the world. You know, she's been one of the, one of those boxers who's helped to transcend the sport, you know, um, you know, her legacy will, will live on forever. But when she moved over to the professional game, this is what really kind of, you know, kind of sets Katie Taylor apart as well, is that women's boxing in the professional game wasn't really in a very good position. It was there, it was happening, but there wasn't a lot of publicity. There wasn't a lot of kind of, atmosphere or kind of that kind of a, a discussion or debate around it but when Katie Taylor stepped into the professional game and of course along with the likes of Clarissa Shields and that I felt that they then brought the, the women's professional game to the forefront to the whole new to a whole new level Katie Taylor one of the, like one of the best amateur boxers to ever lace them up um some people call her the greatest uh, female boxer of all time you know and in my opinion, I think she is one of them. And um, she met up with, obviously linked up with Eddie Hearn, who, in my opinion, I think is one of the greatest boxing promoters of all time. So when the two of them came together, you know, I thought it was a brilliant match, a brilliant match. And fair play to Eddie Hearn because he wasn't really involved in women's boxing at the time, but he knows when a good one comes calling. And when Katie Taylor came calling, you know, he answered the door to her and he, and look what she's done. She's done as much for him and female boxing as he's done for her. You know, they've really complimented each other very well. And she's taken it to a whole new level. Where can she go? Like, I mean, she's breaking records left, right and center. Like, but, um, her, what, what amazes me is her hunger is still, it's it's still like the same. She wants to get better. She wants to win more. She, I'm just like, where, like, what more can you win? Yeah, You've won yeah. it all. You've won it all. But you know what? Like Katie Taylor loves boxing, and you've you've seen this kind of tag, 
lying out there now. No, no boxing, no life. You know, a lot of guys are, are, are kind of uh, sporting this kind of tattoo and this tagline yeah. and all this. Uh, no boxing, no life, or no life, no boxing, whatever. Or no boxing, no life. And like, how can you tell, like Katie Taylor, to Kate, boxing is Katie Taylor's life. That's it. It's her whole life. She loves it. She thinks about it every minute, every second of the day. So, I mean, she loves it. And a lot of people talk to me and say, oh, she should retire, go out on top and everything like that. But like, how can you tell someone to stop doing what they love to do? You know, yeah. when she stops enjoying it, when she stops loving it, then she can throw in the towel. But for now, the woman still absolutely loves the game. She loves it so much, you really can't see her doing anything else at the moment, can you? No, you can't. And uh, and I think it's great to be able to do what you love to do, you know, and do it for as long as she's doing it. Like, she's still at the top of her game. Can you imagine? She won her first world title in India, New Delhi, I think it was, in, in 2006. We're now in 2021. So what have you got? 15 years at the very top of her game. She's been at the top of the world amateur scene and now the professional scene for like 16 years. That's incredible. That's unbelievable. Like who, I don't know, even know if there's anybody else who has been at the top of the game for 16 years straight. It's incredible. Yeah, we've just seen Pacquiao walk away. He's, he's spent a long time at the top. But where was Eric Dunfin 15 years ago? You, like, when you think about the challenge and where was I 15 years ago? Simon, I don't know where you were. Like, where were we all? Like, it's it's a long time to stay stay focused and stay at the top, all right? Well, I tell you, I've left boxing about 20 times in that 15 years <laughs> and came back. And I used to leave it for various times, various lengths and like pack it in and like... There was times when I came back, I had to ask my coach, am I self-orthodox or, <laughs> you know, but Katie Taylor has been there turning up night after night after night after night, you know, nonstop, hungry, ambitious, determined, wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. So it's incredible. Like, you know, going back to Kelly Harrington now, what do you think she, what would you like to see her do? She has completed boxing, amateur boxing, mm. to be fair. She has. Yeah, that's um, the one. That's the one I was batting out all right because she's completed amateur boxing in several ways. She's got the full set of medals, like mm-hmm. John John Evan, Michael Conlon, Katie Taylor, and herself. She's got the full set of goals. Only Katie Taylor has got the full set of goals. World, European, and Olympics. Mm-hmm. There's nothing for her to stay for. Well, not that there's nothing for her to stay for. That's not true. There's she might get a great deal off the off Sport Ireland to stay amateur, tax free, forty grand a year. They they might up it so she could get end up on fifty or sixty grand a year, tax free for the next couple of years. The endorsements that woman is. She's perfect for endorsements. It's not really great money, is it? When you think about forty grand a year tax free for 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 athletes who are winning Olympic gold medals, like come on, like you look at the poorest country, some of the underdeveloped, like like underdeveloped countries in the world, the likes of Belarus and Georgia and uh, places like that. If they're winning Olympic gold medals, these people get a home. They get like a brand new home, a car, a a job for life. Look at Sapiev and look at Artyev, the two. Fal Barker winning uh, trophy winners from the 2004 Athens and 2012 London Olympic Games. These are Kazakhstan boxers. These guys are now uh, household names in their royalty, yeah. in their country and they're royalty. They're looked after. They've jobs for life. They've houses. They've everything. And I just feel that we take it for granted in this country. And look. We're not the United States of America where we're bringing home like 30, 40 gold medals or that. Like, you know, gold medals, as Kennedy said, are very rare in this country. And they are. But I think we should, we should as a nation, give them something a little bit more 
so, something a little bit more worthy than 40 grand a year. There should be something there. There should be a, I don't know, but they should be given a hand or dig out or something in terms of property or an investment should be put. There should be some sort of a lifelong investment put into them. And yeah. then it would, it would, it would also encourage other people to want to strive to get there. You know, yeah, yeah, lifetimes yeah. work. Like, look, if people work for their home. They spend a lifetime trying to buy their home. People spend a lifetime trying to win an Olympic gold medal. I think they should be rewarded for it. I, I remember saying after the last Olympic Games, uh, Nick Keaton, who beat Michael Conlon, got a, and, and pulled out without fighting a yeah. semi-final. So he was a quarter, he was a, se- he was a semi-finalist, got a bronze medal, got a BMW X5 for getting that far. It was like salt, yeah. in, salt in the wound, you know, and he would have yeah. got, there was a lot more on offer for gold medalists as well. Mm-hmm. It, should be, it should be getting something a little bit more handsome and, you know, than, than the 40 grand a year because it's just a, uh, you know, I, 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 I'd, I'd be honest with you, me personally, I think it's an insult. I think it's an insult to, to give somebody, like, I know that that's the, the criteria and everything like that, but, you know, the, can you imagine the impact that get, that she's had on this country now for yeah. years and years to come? And, and the Katie has been in place for a long time. It hasn't gone up in many years now, a decade or so. So Following on from that, uh, you might recall, Eric, at an earlier podcast, yourself and Michael Condon were on talking about the failures that were failures to capitalize on the success of the London Olympics. Uh, and now the IABA find themselves in a similar situation where they've got two medalists, very, very successful team. Um, unfortunately, there's a pandemic and there's no indoor uh, cards anytime soon. But what would you like to see? Let's say things open up by November, December. I know Bellator announced they're coming back in November. So maybe they know something we don't know. What would you like to see the IABA do now for this boxing team? Um. Well, I think at the moment the IABA are in a really difficult position. You know, I think I think to be fair to them, they haven't really got much support from the government. You know, the inside sports have got a real—they've taken a real blow during all of this. Um, and the sad part is then the grassroots level, the clubs. You know, the clubs were getting no direction. The clubs were getting no no direction, no guidance on how to kind of get out of this, navigate the way out of this and through it. And some clubs have had to close their doors. They couldn't keep up the rent. Some boxers have left clubs. And I know this for a fact. Uh, so there's a lot of boxers gone. Uh, and it's really sad. It really is sad. So there's also a bit of infighting going on at the moment in the IABA. There's a lot of disharmony. And it's sad to see, but it's kind of been the same thing going on for the last number. I mean, as long as I've been around high performance boxing, um, I've been aware of this. Like the politics inside of it is terrible. It's toxic. You don't need that. But in terms of like what they can do, I think what they could do is they could celebrate, celebrate the successes a bit more. Try and bring it to the masses, you know, try and maybe have international competition in each province or something, you know, bring all of these guys and don't just wheel them out every four years to the Olympic Games, to all the people in the, uh, to, to all the people around the country who, who build up a rate. Like, do you know, there's actually a lot of people in this country now who know these boxers, who actually know them personally because of what they've learned about them and uh, throughout the two weeks of the Olympics. And I remember one guy private messaged me. I've got, I've got a lot of messages, right? But one, one guy in particular said his mother has no interest in sport whatsoever. He private messaged me and said, his mother turned around and said, Jesus, 
this Donovan lad would have you loving the boxing, wouldn't he? <laughs> so, but like what I'm saying is like, there's these people now loving boxing out there, you know? They're loving boxing. And if we were mm. able to get like Ireland versus England in, in Munster or Ireland versus Italy or France in Connacht or something and have a big international and get the number twos on as well. It doesn't have to be all the number ones. The number twos and showcase number ones, twos and threes. And Kelly Harrington spoke about that as well. And that's what, what, what why boxing has been so good for so long in this country is that we have had number ones with number twos on their heels and number threes on their heels. And all of those guys kept active, kept busy. Um, but look, that that's going to take a whole new approach, a whole new piece of ingenuity, a whole new kind of improvisation with the whole COVID guidelines, the COVID protocols, everything. But you're trying to tell me that we don't have people smart enough in the association or we don't have people that we can hire, hire in or pay or, uh, you know, get the services of to make that happen. Yeah. You know, it's very possible, like, you know, but like we need people thinking outside the box, you know, but I, I think it needs a make couple of things. Sexy. Make boxing sexy. Yeah. It needs a couple of things. It needs a passionate lobby, like to, to bat for it. And someone like yourself, you're getting private messages saying that you're get you're getting people interested in boxing who aren't otherwise because they're listening to your passion and enthusiasm and you're able to explain complicated fights with a smile on your face and make it sound enjoyable. And, you know, you're able to, you're able to really break down something quite technical and, you know, people are getting a good love out of it. I've heard the same comments from friends of mine as well. Oh, you listen to Eric Donovan. It's very enjoyable. So I think like the IBA needs someone like that, that can passionately advocate for the sport and come along and watch. This is going to be fantastic. And then also, I think with the indoor sports, they probably needed a stronger lobby with the government. I know that was something that the grassroots were very unhappy about because the communication from top back down to the grassroots was ineffective and then they didn't really see any evidence of passionate lobbying on behalf of a return to competitive sport. So hopefully it's um, hopefully with the seniors coming up next month in September and the world championships coming up in October, I don't know how any of it's going to work. It's going to be difficult for these big internationals that we want to see a showcase for Kelly Harrington and for Aidan Walsh and, and everybody else. It's going to be difficult for them to schedule in. But maybe, as Simon says, by Christmas, if Bellator are coming, the IBA can pencil something in and a reason for people to get along and watch your kind of boxing heroes and, and finally connect with the sport. A lot of people who haven't had the chance to. Someone else who's connected, Eric, is um, connects you to Andy Lee, to Kenneth Egan, your TV kind of comrades there, to Katie Taylor, gold medalist in 2012, to even to Kelly Harrington in the modern day, is Zorantia, a man who's responsible for, I think, nine of Ireland's gold, or somewhat responsible for nine of Ireland's gold medals, uh, a quarter or more than a quarter of all our medals garnered in history. Um, what a coach and vindicate more vindication for him as well, because he's worked closely with Kelly Harrington over the years and we've seen her triumph as he said, the universal boxer. Yeah. Like, look, Zoranti is the best, you know, he is the best. He's the reason, the way I talk about boxing today is down to Zoranti really, because he's, he's, he's somebody that has made me stop and think about boxing in a completely different way and look at boxing in a completely different way. Like I used to try and jostle and wrestle for his position in the club and or on training camps. I'd always go for walks with him or spend as much time, sit beside him and have lunch, sit beside him and have dinner. And, you know, he talked boxing all day and I love that because I do the same. And, um, but what, what Zorantia, what Zorantia has is he, Passion runs through his veins. 
But when he speaks to you about about competition, about your about your abilities and that, he makes you believe. I remember being in um competition in 2000 and I think it was 2009 I think it was Hungary or Turkey and I was I came up against a Uzbekistan that I was expect I was expected to beat but I lost to him and I took my eye off the ball but who I was supposed to run into next was Alexei Tyshenko people may remember the Russian redhead he was the 2004 Athens Olympic champion and the 2008 Beijing Olympic champion. One of the best boxers ever come out of Russia. And we were preparing for him, me and Zor. And he was, uh, he was a two-time Olympic champion at this stage. And I remember Zor saying to me, when we were sitting down, Eric, you can beat him. This is how we're going to beat him. And he looked into my eyes. And I knew he, I knew every word that was coming out of his mouth was gospel. Because he believed in me and I could see it in his eyes. He believed I had the tools to beat Tyshenko. And when, when you look at, when you speak with somebody and they have that faith and that belief in you, that gives you a hell of, you know, that makes you think, I can do this. You know, I can do this. My coach believes in me. He sees it and he knows the way. He knows that I have the skills to do it. And that's what Zor does. Zor, Zor is able to, able to, bring you to a whole new level because he teaches you and he uh, he arms you with the knowledge but also with the skills and the kind of strategies and tactics and technical abilities he's he's a genius and we're very lucky to have him and i think his coaching abilities has rippled and rippled uh has a ripple effect around this country and it's been felt around this country for the last 15 years plus it's probably most successful um graduates into the professional ranks have been Carl Frampton, Andy Lee, and now Kelly, uh, no, I was going to say Kelly Harrington, and now Katie Taylor. Yeah. Andy, Andy and Carl would speak about them often. They, they'd attribute stuff that they mm-hmm. did in maybe their 15th or 18th professional fight a long way since they worked with Zor Anti, and they'd say, that was Zor, that thing I did was Zor. And now Katie Taylor's about to have her 19th professional bout. Can you mm-hmm. still see things that she does in the ring that she would have picked up at the high performance? Yeah, I can, I can, I can still see things, but I can also see, uh, a lack of things that she's not, that would, I can also see things that probably would help her that she's not using that maybe she's forgot or maybe, you know, when you spend so long away from Zor, you, and you're working with different coaches, you neglect these things that, you know, as once these kind of tools that have once served you really well like you don't see much fainting from katie taylor anymore you don't see much fainting you know which has been one of her strengths in her amateur days you don't see much jabs you know her footwork has become like it's not as busy as it once was now i know she's boxing over 10 rounds now and it is a little bit different but there is just a few small things that she has i wouldn't say she's neglected like she's not purposely or consciously neglected. It's just when you spend years with somebody and doing the same thing with Zora and with her dad, they would have re they would have been reinforcing these things over and over and over and over again. And then when you switch with a different coach, now you can see this what Ross has Ross has her doing is throwing more punches, has her working at a higher rate, 
has her working on the inside, you know. And they're, you know, they're things that she's good at too. But, um, yeah, I just find that there is a lot of things that, that Zor taught Katie that served her so well that you don't see her using as much anymore. And it would be, it, it could do her a great benefit if, if she was able to bring some of that back in. Yeah. But, you know, Andrew Ward, Andre Ward actually said it himself as well. Coaching is so important. You need to be told what to do and how to do it every day. You know, that's how good, that's how important coaching is. In the ring, when you're in there fighting, you need, you need a co-pilot who is your coach. You need that co-pilot to be telling you what it is you have to do and how you are and how you have to do it. You know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. That's coaching. But then again, both of us know that you can't do at 20, uh, you can't do at 35 what you could do at 25. So there always comes a time to adapt as well. Like you look at Katie Taylor's last five fights. She's fought Delphine Pursun, Christine Linardatu, Miriam Gutierrez, Pursun again in a rematch, and then Natasha Jonas. Like she's fought every style, gone to the well, really had to dig deep, taken punches, landed punches, you know, had wars there. Like Jennifer Han, her next opponent, has had five fights in six years. I would imagine Taylor is way too battle-hardened and too, you know, she's... Like you say, her new style is there's less fainting, there's less footwork, there's more punches. She's going to go to war, I think, with this woman on Saturday, uh, the fourth of fourth of September in uh, Leeds. I, I can I can see it being a tough night for the American. Is, is there any chance she'll take her eye off the ball? I mean, it's happened before. It's happened to, to Andy Lee with Brian Vera. It happened to even Josh Warrington with the you know his last fight. You think Katie yeah. might be looking ahead um, to the the fight against? Um, uh, McCaskill at welterweight, possibly. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't want to. I, I, I don't think Katie Taylor should go up to welterweight, man. I, I really don't. You know, I, agree. I, I agree. Yeah. You know, like the, look, there comes a, there comes a point where taking risks and reaping rewards is is important, and but it has to be calculated risk. You know, it, it shouldn't be a dangerous kind of a, a dangerous kind of a silly risk taking operation. You know, like sometimes we push the boundaries a bit too far where it goes beyond um, risk taking and it just becomes a bit insidious. And I don't think I wouldn't like to see Katie going to there because she's not a welterweight boxer. McCaskill is. Is is a serious puncher, and she's she blocks up really well. You can see she she can fill out. You know she can fill out really well. I think Katie should win this fight. Obviously, if her she has to keep focused. You know she's the most deter- most focused person I know. But yeah, she is probably still thinking of beating this girl, and probably is looking at something like Amanda Serrano down the line. Mm. Um, Great fight it has to it has yeah. to happen. It, they, they're the ones that has to happen, and they're the ones I'd like to see happening. I don't like, I wouldn't like to see her going up too many more divisions now, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, just stick stick to your strengths. You know, what's the point in like you know moving up? There's no need for that. Katie Taylor doesn't have to prove anything to anybody by going up the welterweight to win a world title. That's ridiculous. She beat McCaskill already down at her own weight. So stick to her strengths. She is the star. They should be coming to her, not her chasing them. 
There you go. Now that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's not like the men's division where you go up, there's more money and there's money triples and quadruples. And Katie Taylor doesn't need money, leg fame, legacy, nothing like that. She's already done all of that. So now she just should stay at her own weight, stick to her strengths, and win a couple more fights, unify the division, you collect all the belts, a couple of big ones, Amanda Serrano, I think possibly. There's another one or two fighters around there. Is a the French Mikhail woman, Estelle, Estelle Mosley as well. Mosley. Yeah, these are Revenge big fights. Fight, yeah. Big fights at her own weight category. You know, just need to don't need any more than that. She's already after becoming world champion in in two weights, isn't she? She won the super feather as well, didn't she? Yeah, she won the light welterweight at one forty. I think if she, I think if she fought McCaskill as the, as the star of the A side, she could probably get a one forty one catchweight and fight for the welterweight title there. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it, isn't it? You can do it. Yeah, but it's dangerous. Like I don't I, like it's dangerous. Katie mm. Katie Taylor is 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 a is a lightweight boxer. You know, look, I know Katie Taylor's making lightweight fairly handy. I know that. Like I know, like I know she'd be making that weight no problem. And obviously, we all have to work with our weight. But like that would never be a, an issue for her to make the lightweight division. But you know, why go up a stone or even a half a stone to one forty one, one forty two? It's no, no, no. I don't think it's a good idea at all. I think there's some big fights for her. Amanda Serrano. Is it Michaela Mayer? Is it another? She's super featherweight champion. She's super featherweight. But these are fights. These are all fights. These can come up to lightweight. These can come up to Katie. Katie Taylor doesn't need to go up to lightweight. And they both boxed at the lightweight category at 2016 Olympics as well. So, you know, Meyer was was there as well. That's what I'm saying about sticking to your strengths. She doesn't have to go chasing legacy. Her legacy is cemented. Let people come to her. You know, and stick to your strengths and you you hold all the ace cards, you hold the A side, let people come to you. And if they want to beat the champ, if they want to beat one of the greatest athletes of all time, let them come to you. You don't have to go chasing them. Like these are like this is the these are the messages that Eddie Hearn and, and Brian Peters should be saying to Katie Taylor. She don't have to go pushing boundaries. That's insidious, that's ridiculous. And um let them all come to her. When Katie Taylor turned professional, one of the big things I think Ross Anyway, her trainer as well was interested in, in it happening, becoming a grace like uh, Vasil Lomachenko, another Olympic hero, you know, and becoming like yeah. the female Lomachenko who's got all the shots, all the game. The amateur legacy is absolutely cemented now to do it in the professionals. And we saw what happened with Lomachenko. When he lost, he lost to much bigger men that really yeah. probably didn't have the skills that he had, but he was he was in over his head against yeah. bigger guys. Yeah, because he pushed the boundaries, you know, and he pushed it out. Like, and when you push out the boundaries like that, yeah, it goes beyond risk taking, you know, because all of your strengths is not what it once was, and um, you know. So what has what has made you a ferocious opponent in your weight division has now you've now weakened yourself. You've weakened yourself. You've taken away from your strengths. You've taken away from your height. You've taken away from your speed. You've taken away from your power. So you're really giving yourself a disadvantage going up this way. You know, and then you have to still put in a hell of a performance to still try and hope to win. You know, it's I don't think it's um, I don't think I wouldn't like to see Katie Taylor doing it. To be honest with you. That's just my own pain. Eric, in the main event of Katie Taylor's um, Josh Warrington is fighting against Mauricio Lara in a rematch. We saw him get caught by the Mexican last time. Do you think he has what it takes to get back to the world title figure? Well, I do, I do, I do think he has what it takes, but he has a lot, he has had a lot of tough fights before Lara, you know? If you think about it, he has had, you know, Kika Martinez, Kid Galahad, you know, uh, C. Lee Selby, Carl Frampton. These are all tough, tough fights. 
tough fights for Josh Warrington. And a lot of people thought, oh, Lara, he's going to just blitz through him, you know. But he didn't, you know. Maybe he took his eye off the ball. Maybe he was thinking, like, you know, just like I'll handle this fella easy enough or whatever. But this guy was, this guy was a serious puncher. And this guy was no, he was no flat tire. Like, you know, he's a Mexican. He was, he was ferocious with his, with his punching power, both hands as well. And he could take a dig as well because Warrington hurt him too. And he came back into the fight. Like, this guy is a dangerous opponent. Can Josh Warrington beat him? Yeah, I think he definitely can beat him. Did he underestimate him the first time around? Probably did. He probably did. But whatever was going on, where you can say that Josh Warrington probably wasn't at his wasn't at, wasn't at his hundred percent or wasn't at his best in that fight or took his eye off the ball or something, whatever it was going on, he didn't look like the Josh Warrington that we're used to that we're used to seeing. His defense wasn't great. He took a lot of punishment. He shipped a lot of shots. Maybe he, I think he was still concussed boxing in that fight for a good few rounds, for several rounds. So his father could have took him out or the coaches could have took him out much earlier in the fight. I would have liked him to see him. I remember calling for him to be taken out of that fight three or four rounds before he got, before he got knocked out. Um, and it's always hard to judge how good a person actually is when, the, like, when you're fighting concussed, you can't really, you can't really uh, critique somebody or analyze somebody because they're really just fighting on soul and spirit. There's nothing in them. There's nothing in, there's nothing kind of solid or directive inside their mind and inside their head. They're really just fighting on adrenaline. And, um, and that's what Josh Warrington was doing for several rounds. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of tactics he's going to use in this next fight. I don't think he will go out all guns blazing as he was the first time because he got he walked straight onto a big punch. I think he'll be a little bit more measured, a little bit more ca- calculated. This his mission obviously is not to knock out this guy, Lara. It'd be nice if he did. Like I know personally, he would love it if he did. But he his mission is to win this fight and move back into big, big, big paydays and big fights again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a ballsy move to rematch a guy who's just knocked oh. you out. Without a doubt, like huge, huge ballsy move, without a doubt. And uh, you know what? He's a warrior. Fair yeah. play to him for taking it. You have to you have to give him your hats off to him. Yeah, and we've seen it. Like even from an Irish boxing perspective, we've seen his gifts. Like when he took out Martin Lindsay, beat Patrick Hyland, then got one over on Carl Frampton as well. So he's he's beaten all of our best in the last few years. Um, he's a guy around your weight category, Eric. Was it this sort of fella you'd like to fight? There's other fellas around there like Michael Conlon, Kid Galahad. Yeah. You know, there's, it's an interesting scene. Lee Wood as well has a, yeah. has a belt now. It's an interesting scene. You know, if you stay prepared, you might get a shot at someone someday. They're all dream fights, man. They're all dream fights. Kid Galahad, you know, Lee Wood, Josh Warrington, you know, give me, man, you know, <laughs> send me the contract. <laughs> you know, I, jump at any of those fights but like you're right you know I we all have to stay in our own lane keep working away boxing's a business and eventually you know some you never know so like Lee Wood put out a message there on Twitter about five maybe about five six months ago where he was given out about having no title defense for his British title and he won it back in I think uh, something like he won it back in February or at the start of the year and there's no mention of his next fight or his next opponent or his mandatory and he was really, I got the impression from his tweet that he was disheartened with it all. 
you know, he seemed to be a guy who has lost a bit of hope, like he was fed up of boxing, you know, which often happens. <laughs> and the next minute, he's in pole position fighting uh, Kan Zhu for, for, for the world title. And now he's world champion. Now he's world champion. So, you know, boxing is a game of snakes and ladders and anything can happen. You just have to be ready all the time. But look, we leave it there. So, Eric Donovan, thanks so much for joining us this week on The Rocky Road. It's been brilliant. Pleasure, as always, lad. The Zone. Home of the Game Changers. They defy odds. Logic. Reason. They fight convention and bloody the nose of tradition. Stream your boxing your way. Anytime, anywhere, only on The Zone. Game changed. Visit DAZN.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.